someone the NSA once listed as the most dangerous hacker in America, sure don't look like much. He travels the world and scans the web to keep you up to date on the latest threats to the internet and to your cybersecurity. He brings you the latest on the fight against cyber terrorism, keeping you safe with the best cybersecurity information on the radio. It's Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanek. Good morning and welcome to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bam, and I'm glad to be here you, with you this week. Hope to have a lot of great information for you of cybersecurity news and how to protect yourself and your family. Have some interviews and uh, we're going to do a social media segment uh, and a little bit of how to protect your family. So stay tuned for that. To connect with us online, you can visit our website, cybersecuritytodayradio.com, on Facebook and Twitter at CybersecRadio, my personal Twitter account at Bambanek, B-A-M-B-E-N-E-K, and by email, Radio at gmail.com, J-O-H-N-B-A-M-B-E-N-E-K, radio at gmail.com. Always happy to take your questions of how you can protect you, your family, and your small business. And as always, thanks to our radio stations, AM820 News, covering Tampa Bay and the West Coast, as well as AM1060 News, covering the Space Coast and Orlando. Uh, we also podcast online, just use your favorite cyber uh, use your favorite podcasting software and just look for Cybersecurity Today Radio. So let's go ahead and get right into it. A lot of uh, big news uh, this past week. Uh, I want to cover one story in particular because it, it sounds like insider baseball or the cybersecurity industry, but actually really does have some important privacy implications for you. Uh, the past couple of days here, there's kind of a big controversy. A one cybersecurity firm called Direct Defense accused another one, Carbon Black, of being the world's, pay for, uh, world's largest pay-for-play exfiltration botnet, namely that uh, Carbon Black's software, if you configure it appropriately, will upload files to a, a cloud-based antivirus scanner that then sells access to those same files. So if you submit your trade secrets to this service, uh, somebody who's a partner of that service could then download it legally, have your trade secrets. So uh, a lot of big important risks there. Uh, some of it's inside baseball, but I really want to focus on one aspect of this story, right? These these cloud scanning services, VirusTotal, there's others that scan and let you know if something is malicious. Um, a lot of people do, uh, a lot of people use this stuff uh, out there uh, and send information to know if things are malicious or not. Now, if you're giving sensitive information, right, you know, your web browsing history or something like that, then, you know, Obviously, other people can download it. Uh, looking at that and some other services, I found private encryption keys, uh, sensitive documents, uh, databases, things that never should have made it up there because a lot of these security tools automatically send things up uh, yeah, to give you more information about what's malicious, what's not, right? So uh, it's a good service, right? If you get something in email, you get a document file, want to get an idea if it's malicious or not, you can just upload it to VirusTotal. It'll scan it against 50-some-odd uh, antivirus solutions, and it'll give you an answer. The downside of that is, well, those files are now accessible to others who, who pay for access to it. What's relevant about this and what's very interesting, and I think it's, it's, it's a, to make a larger point about privacy, 
uh, Windows 10 in particular, but antivirus uh, software also, uh, and a lot of security tools will send back telemetry or files, interesting things that it sees to get an idea of what's going on out in the Internet, uh, get an idea of emerging attacks, uh, what new malware is out there, because all of these tools work because there's researchers like myself who reverse engineered something they saw bad and then created rules to detect it. So we're always looking for new things and we're always looking for new ways uh, to get information on what the bad guys are doing. So a lot of companies have telemetry and the like. Uh, so uh, why it's important to you is that a lot of information can be sent back. Uh, I mentioned Windows 10 specifically, which sends a lot of telemetry back, more than just security stuff, right? Uh, you know, there's a lot of ad tracking stuff built in, so what websites you go to, what interests you have, so on and so forth, that advertisers then can, in essence, buy access to you or buy access to people who have in the same interests you do to do marketing stuff. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, personal information out there saying, hey, you know what, this person is a parent, they've got three kids, uh, you know, a girl who's six years old who likes, I don't know, Pokemon, and now all of a sudden you see Pokemon-based ads uh, when you're surfing the web and going about uh, your business. Um, and the fact is, this is real big business. The reason Facebook and Gmail are free, the reason Google has a search engine and Bing uh, have a search engine that costs a lot of money to manage, but you don't have to pay for it, is because it gives information about you that they can turn around and sell it, right? Uh, or at least sell access to it. Uh, which is also a part of the controversy with, uh, you know, ISPs wanting to get in the game and know what your web browsing history is so they can do targeted advertising. You know, it's important to note for at least mainstream companies, or, you know, I can't turn around and buy, hey, this is what websites, you know, my neighbor Tom is going to, or go to uh, Carbon Black and say, give me all the, the files, you know, for my competing, com competing company. But there's a lot of information that's being generated about you every day, right? So take a look on your iPhone, your Android device, Windows 10, uh, your security tools. Uh, get an idea that there should be privacy settings and all of them. It gives you some communication about what's getting sent back. They're not going to sit there and throw it in your face and say, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm mining your web browsing history to sell you stuff because they're betting and it's a good bet on their part that most people just don't care. They'd rather have the free stuff or the discounted stuff or be convenient and give up their privacy for it. We spend a lot of time thinking about what intelligence agencies have. The Google search history is probably has a more detailed profile on everybody in America than the NSA could ever put together. So a lot of information's out there you're, that you're giving up. Uh, you may not care about it. You may not. Uh, you may think it's worth it. But at least make a knowing decision about that. Look at their privacy policies. Look at what data they're uh, they're uh, releasing out there uh, and using and how they're using it. Uh, I've said it before. I'll say it again. No one's going to protect your privacy. It's up to you to take charge of it and decide for yourself what you want protected, what you want to keep private. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek. Moving on to our second story, uh, a lot of other big news uh, in this past week, actually from DEF CON. Uh, so it was about a week and a half ago, a security researcher by the name of Marcus Hutchins, or MalwareTech, uh, was arrested on his way leaving DEF CON to go back to the United Kingdom 
for uh, allegedly selling uh, or I should say creating uh, the Kronos banking Trojan and working with somebody to sell it on the Internet. So uh, a lot of news because uh, he's a fellow security researcher. I know him. I've met him on time from time to time. I have no inclination who's involved in this kind of stuff. So it's surprising to a lot of us that, uh, you know, these kind of things happen, right? But every time, you know, you've got a trusted group of individuals every now and then somebody uh, plays for the other side. I have no idea what the facts are in Marcus Hutchinson's case. You know, the indictment is pretty thin on data. Uh, but a lot of things out there you're seeing are just patently wrong. There's people out there saying, oh, the FBI is going to arrest security researchers for writing tools or writing code that gets used in malware or anything like that. No, it's not true. You know, he's being accused of writing a banking Trojan, so stealing money from people's banking accounts uh, and knowingly participating participating in a conspiracy to do that. So, you know, they're accusing him of, of playing for both teams simultaneously. So uh, big news. We're not going to hear much out of it until uh, his arraignment next week. Probably not many more details, uh, you know, for many months. So we'll keep, uh, keep a lookout on for that story, uh, but certainly generating a lot of news out there. Uh, but goes back to, you know, every now and then when a lot of trust is placed in people, every now and then you get a bad apple. The FBI's had it with Robert Hansen. We see a lot of leaks from the NSA and the CIA. No industry is immune from that. So uh, a lot of great news. You can go look at our digital partner, cyberscoop.com, to see both of those stories. Uh, and we're actually going to bring on Chris Bing here in the next segment to do a quick interview. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but definitely check out cyberscoop.com. has a lot of great cybersecurity news stories out there. So we're going to take a short break here. Uh, but be, stay tuned for more great cybersecurity news. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bamba. This is Cybersecurity Today with John Bambin. This is Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanek. Welcome back. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek. Joining us now, Chris Bing from our digital partner, Cyberscoop.com, talking to us about uh, some potential North Korean attacking on the Hillary Clinton presidential campaign, or, uh, or I should say a think tank associated with the campaign, uh, and the latest in the Shadow Brokers investigation. How are you doing today, Chris? Doing great. Crazy week. Another one seems to be the uh, the typical thing nowadays. But uh, we had a you know, very interesting story that, that you mentioned here that has to do with a um, group of North Korean hackers last mm-hmm. year were able to penetrate um, into a it, – it's actually sort of interesting. The, the Hillary Clinton campaign had a number of what they called foreign policy advisory groups. These things existed outside of the campaign. They didn't have um, – emails that were at HillaryClinton.com emails, so they weren't actually official campaign employees, but they still were involved in um, designing and drafting policy memos and, and policy ideas that they believed, obviously, the next president would, would mm-hmm. perhaps implement. And so what our story looks at is this North Korean hacking group broke into the advisory group that did East Asia policy in, in, in sort of like a traditional espionage sense and they were looking to acquire policy documents that may be relevant to them. 
Yeah, no, and that's very interesting, right? You know, because uh, certainly North Korea, more than anything else, cares about policy, uh, geopolitical policy in Eastern Asia, uh, particularly China, who is viewed at least some of the time to be their main benefactor. But, you know, kind of their relationship with their neighbors is kind of a large item of interest to them. Uh, and attacks on think tanks aren't ter terribly new, or espionage attacks on think tanks aren't terribly new because, uh, you know, how I view it, right, soft targets of government, right, political campaigns and think tanks are where the first drafts of policies are, are often written. Exactly, yeah, and it's, you know, a part of this is also that they could have targeted the campaign, and, and, and in fact they did. They did send phishing emails to the campaign and campaign staff, and in one case that we found, they spoofed, a uh, top campaign official's email address and then sent a spear phishing email to a staffer mm -hmm. in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. So they were, they were definitely very bold uh, and kind of reckless here, but they, with this advisory group that they actually were successful against, so that, that we were able to find proof of success, um, they were going for a weak target. I mean, simply put, this group was not, it was a conglomeration of think tank experts that most of whom have full-time jobs with think tanks in the D.C. area. They were using personal email accounts. Some of them were using professional uh, email accounts for their organizations. And uh, they were the ones who got popped. The campaign had security in place, and so the North Koreans looked for, for what was easier. Yeah, and I think that's certainly true of, uh, of many things, right? You know, I know, and the interesting thing about your story is almost – Everything in the 2016 election was talking about Russia uh, and what they were doing. But, you know, conveniently, we've, uh, you know, not talked about what some other things are doing. Right. North Korea has come out and they're not viewed as the most sophisticated uh, power out there when it comes to cyber enabled espionage. That's right. And in this specific case, the technique they were using is uh, fairly elementary. They were sending a spear phishing email. Uh, that said, hey, you know, please look at this document. And then it had an image of what looked to be an attachment, but it wasn't actually an attachment. Mm -hmm. And when you click it, it would send you to a fake Gmail login page right. where it would ask you to put your login credentials in again. You'd put them in, it'd take you to whatever this document is, and you would have just given them your login information. So it required no malware. It was just a simple social engineering scheme mm -hmm. that has proven effective time and time again. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's a good reminder, right? We, we, we talk about cyber espionage and nation states and all the interesting things they do, but a lot of the techniques they use are just basic, simple deception, right? Let's make something look like a Google login page, uh, imitate names of somebody you might be familiar with, but if you kind of pay attention, you know, you'll see links off somewhere, right? You, you know, you, you see an icon that looks like an attachment. It's really linked to another web page. You know, these exactly. little subtle things that if you pay attention for, right, or, or the, the, the way a group, you know, stop, think, connect, right, just take a second, pay attention, hey, this doesn't look right, this is fishy, send it to a trusted IT guy or don't respond or any number of things, but don't just mindlessly click through, oh, it wants my Google password, let me go enter that because, you know, this view of hackers just, you know, in a basement somewhere typing code at, 2,000 words a minute is not terribly accurate. What is accurate is they trick people to compromising themselves, and whether it's nation states or 14-year-old criminals in mom's basement. Exactly.
And this, a very similar sort of variant of this technique was mm-hmm. used against John Festa as well. Uh, mm-hmm. He was sent an email that said, uh, someone tried to log into your account, please reset your password. And it took him to a fake Gmail password login uh, prompt. Again, a fake Gmail uh, notification, essentially. And he put in this password. There was no malware there. And that's how we now understand that Russian intelligence or groups that are working with Russian intelligence, I should say, were able to access some of his uh, emails. Yep, well, that's definitely it. So I wanted to move on to the second story uh, that you had out there of the previous week that I thought was very interesting, right? We've we've talked a bit about the Shadow Brokers investigation, all those NSA, quote, cyber weapons or exploits uh, that got leaked on the Internet, published online, and a lot of mockery going back and forth. Uh, there's been some developments in that investigation, and we know something, uh, we may know something more uh, about who actually leaked all of these NSA uh, tools on the Internet. So uh, tell us a little bit more of uh, what you know. So I've been working on this now for a few months to sort of confirm a, a relatively simple fact. And the idea when the shadow brokers have been leaking these tools is that, you know, the original theory was that someone must have hacked an NSA staging server and they got these tools. Mm -hmm. Well, later on, they published a PowerPoint slide and it doesn't take a genius to think, you know, you you wouldn't put a PowerPoint slide on an attack server out somewhere where you typically put hacking tools, right? Right. So I think over time, the public has generally understood who is interested in this story that uh, it probably involves some sort of insider. um, And that is what we confirmed in our story that came out on Friday, the last week of, uh, one of the last days of DEF CON in, in mm-hmm. Vegas week. So it, it's, it's important to note, though, I mean, the common understanding as this investigation is going on at Fort Meade is that it does involve a former insider, and the investigation is very much so ongoing. They have not captured this individual. No, so I think yeah, that's that's some different, definitely interesting you know, developments. I always kind of suspected an insider but had no real data. It just didn't feel nation state, but certainly, you know, now you're with your reporting and some of the things that you've uncovered, it's certainly looking more and more in that direction. So we'll certainly pay more attention to CyberScoop as this story unfolds. They have some great reporting in there. So coming to the end of our segment, uh, I want to say thank you, uh, Chris, for joining us. Uh, you're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bamanek. We'll be right back after this short break. Scan your computer, but don't scan the dial. Stay right here. John Bambadick will be right back. This is Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanek. And welcome back. You've tuned in to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek. Uh, you know, switching gears a little bit. We talked earlier in the show a little bit about privacy. 
how some cybersecurity tools uh, will, uh, you know, leak information about you, how Windows 10 leaks information about you on your smartphones. Uh, but talk a little bit more about privacy and how to protect your information and keep it from being disclosed. So there's a lot of great tools out there. We'll cover a few of them now. Uh, some of them are free uh, that you can get online. So um, if you look for uh, browser plugins like Adblock Pro um, and uh, HTTPS Everywhere and Privacy Badger. All three of those do different things. Uh, Adblock obviously blocks all of those ads. Some new sites won't uh, let you see content if you have them turned on. But uh, what it's really blocking in addition to ads is all the ad tracking that has a unique identifier. So as you surf the web going about your ba uh, daily basis, there's a unique identifier that says, okay, this person is interested in, uh, you know, went to finance.yahoo to see stock prices and then Merrill Lynch to check on their 401k and then, uh, you know, went to CNBC and so on. So, okay, this person is interested in Wall Street and, and creates a mechanism for advertisers to access you based on that and start selling you things. People find some people find that distasteful. So using these ad blocking software will help prevent that kind of tracking. Uh, so does Privacy Badger as well. Uh, of course, the most important thing is to simply not put in so much information about yourself online. I mean, if you're publishing on Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram, all of those are public medium. They're free services because they data mine you to create advertising profiles. So if you don't want people to know that you like sausage pizza, for instance, to pick something random, don't put that on Twitter. A very simple thing. But using Privacy Badger and ad blocking software, uh, you can block some of that stuff just as you're going uh, on, on your day-to-day -day basis of just browsing the internet and doing uh, what you do online. HTTPS everywhere ensures that websites that have encrypted versions, uh, it will use those instead uh, for a good long time. I mean, you could access Gmail or uh, Facebook without uh, encryption, which means everybody would see your cookies and what you're posting if they were in the middle uh, of your network traffic and be able to see that. That's less so today, but this is a browser plugin you can download to enforce uh, using encryption uh, when it's available. And the reason that that's important you know, because people get the idea, we say, oh, you don't want people to intercept your traffic, right? You know, and we think that's not possible because, oh, is somebody going to be at the phone company tapping wires or anything like that? Well, there's other rudimentary ways of doing it. We all know what wireless networks are. People have gone into Starbucks or McDonald's or wherever using public wireless, the hotels, airports, you name it. Most of these networks you're broadcasting your data in the clear uh, for anybody within radio range, which could be upwards of a mile, which means that traffic can be ex uh, intercepted over the air uh, and seen by others. If it's encrypted, then, you know, they might see source and destination, but they're not going to see what you're browsing. They're not going to see your username, your password. Uh, but without that, if you're on a public wireless network that doesn't have encryption, which is most public wireless networks, uh, you really need something like HTTPS everywhere. That's, that's a free tool. But we can move over uh, to some commercial tools, uh, you know, that are important, right? Uh, ISPs, I think I made reference to uh, earlier in the shows, uh, certainly with what's going on in Congress, ISPs want to track 
what people are doing online in order uh, to create these advertising profiles. So VPNs would help defeat that. Um, private internet access and private tunnel are two different services. You got to pay a little bit a month. It's not too too expensive in either case. Um, that will allow you to connect to you know their VPN server so it's encrypted from wherever you are. Even if you're on an open wireless network, you could do this and protect all your traffic. But if you have an ISP that wants to track your web browsing, you can use these tools to also protect yourself. Uh, but certainly it's very important for using open networks or networks run by others where you might not trust them. Uh, you know, private tunnel, that's basic service is free. It's unlimited service is twenty nine ninety nine a year. Uh, private internet access also has some great deals. So uh, certainly uh, a lot of tools out there uh, to protect yourself with, uh, with what's called VPNs or virtual private networks or personal VPNs. Uh, so you can, uh, there's a lot of great features, right? You know, if you're interacting with people online, you don't want them to see your IP address or whatever uh, could protect you against that. So Certainly, uh, take a look at uh, things of that sort uh, of VPNs uh, to to protect your information. For things of uh, just doing uh, proxying, uh, which is more of a lightweight VPN, you could look at SSLPrivateProxy.com. Uh, some high-speed uh, anonymous proxies that let you uh, surf the web without people uh, being as able to track you. So um, it's important. The reason that this is important, some of these things are important, even if you're at home on a safe network, is that even your IP address right, is used by advertisers to say, you know what, I don't know anything about this person, but I know this IP address. It's looked at this stuff, so now I'm going to start directing advertising uh, of this sort or another to you. Um, you know, five years ago when I was running for office, right, there's, there, there was a lot of talk with once Barack Obama won the presidency in 2008 of micro-targeting and being able to target voters on very fine-grained details. And people showed me I could look at everybody in my neighborhood, right? You know, I, I not only knew their voting patterns, but would know a lot of details about them uh, if I wanted to, uh, you know, almost down to the kind of shampoo they would buy. Uh, the amount of data that's stored uh, and collected by advertising advertisers and marketers is just immense uh, and scary. So using VPNs or at least proxy services like uh, SSL Private Proxy helps defeat some of that so people can't create these kind of detailed profiles about you uh, online uh, and sell this information to others because once it's kind of created, you know, there's no telling where it goes. In essence, people can buy access uh, to a great deal of information about you that's sold uh, relatively opening, open. So these kind of things can uh, protect you. But certainly, you know, if you want to pick, you know, pick a VPN or things of that sort, uh, certainly do your research of what has the features you like. There's a lot of VPN uh, comparison sheets out there that you can uh, take a look at. And the last thing to uh, point out, right, kind of the step above VPNs is using Tor or I2P. Uh, both of these, uh, if you've seen, you know, sci spy movies, you see communication bouncing between place to place, you know, across the globe. These technologies, in essence, operate in a very similar way. 
you know, they send traffic and, and mix it around on the very places to obfuscate where source and destinations are. Uh, Tor is, is used a lot by criminals basically to hide themselves uh, and make it difficult for law enforcement to track. Uh, I prefer to uh, advise people to use I2P. Uh, there's a lot of uh, good features in there uh, without uh, some of the uh, you know overt criminality that you find in the Tor network. So just uh, look the other letter I2P. You can find ways to install that on your computer. Not particularly user friendly either of those, but. You know, if you're really concerned about your privacy or have a reason to be concerned about your privacy, you've got a, a stalker ex-partner, you know, somebody's threatening you, so on and so forth. Um, you know, you really need to start looking at these technologies, Google up and and figure out what they do, how to get them uh, put into place. Because at the end of the day, uh, no one's going to protect your privacy except you. Right. Everybody else is looking for ways to sell your information, uh, to keep yourself private. You know, that's really on you taking the reins, learning some of these tools, researching the options, and putting them in place for yourself. So uh, hopefully some good information will, uh, as time goes on, uh, put out some more information about protecting your privacy online and the privacy of your children uh, and your family and keeping your information safe, or at least uh, how I define privacy is just controlling what is published about you. Uh, so we'll have more, some more great information for you uh, in future episodes, but certainly take a look at some of those tools that we mentioned. Going to take a brief break right here before we go into our social media segment. Stay tuned. We're going to answer some of your questions. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambin. This is Cybersecurity Today with John Bambin. Got a question on cybersecurity? I got a question! Ask Bambinick. Really? You sure about that? And welcome back to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambinick. Now we go on to our social media segment where we take your questions of what you want to know about cybersecurity, how to protect yourself online from security threats, or protect your privacy. Uh, to ask us questions, uh, you can hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at CyberSec Radio. Uh, send in an email, johnbambanekradio at gmail.com, J-O-H-N-B-A-M-B-E-N-E-K, radio at gmail.com, or via our website, cybersecuritytodayradio.com. So let's go ahead and get straight into it. How can I protect my children online? What's the biggest threat to my kids online? Um, you know, no clear answer to that question, right? You know, what the what is the biggest threat? Um, you know, I know what concerns me, but they're certainly subject to all the same threats as, as some of us as far as, as getting malware, uh, computer viruses and the like. There are criminals who like taking advantage of children, knowing that, you know what, they're going to play games. They see something neat on the Internet. They're going to kind of click uh, and play games, uh, Flash or whatever. Uh, there was uh, an adversary who wrote uh, a version of Mario Run for Android. Uh, Mario Run was only an iPhone app. Someone created a version for Android, but that included some malicious software in the hopes that somebody would install it on their Android, and, and many people did, uh, and get malware. So... Uh, they're subject to all the same 
stuff that we are uh, from computer viruses and the like. So, um, you know, what I do, you know, my kids have their own computer. It's one of these two, three hundred dollar ones at Best Buy. Um, it, it's only what, you know, it's what they play with uh, doing whatever online games they are. I make sure that it's up to date and patched and has antivirus. Uh, but, you know, there's nothing overly sensitive on there. It's not my work on there or anything that if somebody got in, uh, it would be too terribly uh, damaging. Uh, but part of it is teaching your kids, um, you know, what you can uh, of being cautious of what they click on and what they search for, making sure that Google search settings or that safe search is turned all the way up so they don't accidentally see things that are not appropriate for their age. Um, keep the computer in an open room and just pay attention to what they're doing online uh, and who they're interacting with. Though the threat that concerns me the most about um, children online, uh, you know, there are uh, a lot of uh, threats out there related to uh, predators and people engaged in what's called sextortion, particularly uh, to young girls, you know, try to get pictures of them, uh, you know, changing by hacking the web camera and things of that sort, uh, and then uh, attack them. We see a lot of headlines about that. Uh, it's not uh, overly common, right, uh, in terms of, you know, this malware hacking or kind of direct sextortion kind of thing, you know, but certainly there's a lot of, um, you know, bad people on the Internet, right? They give uh, the Internet gives people the impression of anonymity uh, that doesn't necessarily exist unless you use tools. Uh, so uh, pay attention to who your kids are talking to online uh, and keep mindful of that. You know, kind of depends on their age at a certain point, you know. You know, you shouldn't keep your kids off Facebook until they're 18, you know, but I wouldn't necessarily put my six-year-old on Facebook either. Um, you know, talk to them uh, about, hey, you know, people on the Internet might not seem be who they say they are. It's very easy for me to create a profile of anybody in the world, put their picture up on Facebook and say, hi, you know, I'm, you know, Lucy Jones. And no, no, I'm not really that person. But I wouldn't necessarily make them overly afraid to the point where, you know, they're they're thinking everybody's a criminal or whatever. Uh, you know, certainly let kids be kids and have some sense of innocence. But, you know, make sure they realize, you know, not as everything is, is what they seem. Just because something's written on the Internet doesn't make it true. Uh, be cautious of uh, the mechanisms and means uh, by which uh, people can chat with them. Uh, some uh, parents uh, insist for like Facebook and social media, they have the passwords too, so they can look at stuff. Um, you know, but the most important thing is no matter what you do, there's ways to get around it. Kids are very good at figuring that out. Uh, you know, try to have an open relationship with your children that can talk to you about what they see or what's bothering them. You know, if the kids are using the computer and kind of close it and, and get withdrawn or whatever, ask them what's going on. Um, you know, if you want to have access to their passwords or not, I don't know what's the right answer to that as a parent. Uh, you know, my kids are young enough at this point. Not, you know, I could say, no, you, you don't get online, you know, unless I tell you to. But a certain point, I mean, some degree of, uh, of freedom, um, you know, and and privacy to an extent is uh, probably a good thing. But but have that relationship. Talk to them about some of the threats out there. Uh, you know, uh, if they're old enough, go to stopthinkconnect.org. Uh, I know the Girl Scouts and the Boy Scouts have, uh, you know, cybersecurity for children kind of programs uh, if you're part of those organizations. But certainly seek out uh, that kind of stuff that's age appropriate, teaching your kids what kind of threats they need to worry about. 
If you just tuned in, you're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek. Uh, next question. I'm about to start college. I want to work with computers for a living. Why should I work in cybersecurity? Right? One of the reasons I teach uh, cybersecurity courses at the University of Illinois uh, at Urbana-Champaign is that there is a huge need for for work. In essence, we, we say we have negative unemployment, is that there are more jobs than qualified people to do it. Right? So... Um, you know, you see some of these sensationalistic things, say the robots are going to do everything, so we're not going to need workers anymore. Uh, well, certainly this is an industry, you know, somebody's got to secure it because there's always, there's always going to be criminals, whether it's online or, you know, in the normal, quote, real world. Uh, there's a lot of work that we have and not enough people to do it. So economically, it's, uh, it's a good industry to be in, but there's a lot of variance and things you can do, right? If you're uh, somebody who's good at visual, having a criminal mind but don't want to be a criminal, uh, you know, being the kind of person that helps figure out how to break into things so we can fix it, you know, is a very important skill set. You know? But there's a lot of different things in there of uh, investigators and doing forensics, some of the, the stuff that, that I do. Uh, just securing networks, being part of developing you know new software, but doing it so that it's secure and doesn't leak data, a lot of compliance-related stuff. So there's there's a huge breadth of jobs in there. And the thing that I like most about it, it's it's never a dull moment. There's always something new. Um, you know, I suppose if you wanted to go out to pasture and sit in a cube for 20 years, uh, you could do that in this industry too. But I don't like being bored. Uh, and in the 18 years I've been doing it, I've never been bored uh, in cyber security. So uh, certainly if you've got some aptitude, uh, take a look at that. Last question, what's the biggest hacking threat facing consumers right now? Um, people focus a lot about credit card fraud and that sort, but consumers are really shielded from that, right? I, I've been telling people, you know, I could post a picture of my credit card online right now and people start defrauding it, and I'm not going to be liable for any of that money because the credit card company is going to be like, oh, okay, we just reverse the charges. Uh, you know, it's a little bit more of a hassle with a bank account, but, but that too. But the thing that really is happening that nobody has, uh, you know, a good handle on uh, is a lot of cybersecurity is directed towards compromising, you know, getting users to compromise themselves. So we see these things in, in emails, some fake FedEx delivery notices and so on uh, that's trying to trick you to open something to install something on your computer uh, so that, you know, that can be mined for information. There's a lot of uh, focus right now of criminals to mine health information. Uh, certainly, uh, we hear a lot about Internet of Things and IoT. Um, less of an issue in the United States simply because the way home Internet works is almost everything's behind your cable modem or wherever where there's no direct ability for somebody on the Internet to reach out and communicate with it. But certainly the, there are a lot of uh, concerns of that sort in networks where that's not true. Uh, you know, you could search online seeing webcams that are open so I could see things out there. So a lot of these devices were, were that we're networking now uh, aren't really thinking a lot about security but certainly the criminals are. Uh, but all really kind of comes back to criminals kind of tricking you to compromise yourself. And it could be something, hey, you know what, I want to get the email password for your Gmail account because it's probably the password for your corporate email and to log into your computer or maybe to, you know, your retirement account uh, as a means to get into, not deeper into you necessarily, but deeper into your company, into your organization, right? So uh, always patch your stuff, get all the updates for Windows and 
Mac and iPhone and Java and all of the software that you use, but also be uh, always pay attention to what you're getting in email, being careful uh, what you click on, uh, and avoid uh, these kind of fraudulent documents, fake invoices, fake FedEx delivery notices, so on and so forth, uh, because criminals are really trying to trick you to compromising yourself. That's really how it works. So coming to the end of our show here, broadcasting AM820 News covering Tampa Bay and the West Coast as well as AM1060 News covering the Space Coast and Orlando. Hope you got a lot of great uh, information out of this week's show. We'll be back next week, uh, Saturday morning, with more great cybersecurity news. So stay tuned for that. Enjoy your weekend, and you're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bamberg.